This is The Ball, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by brothers Nate and Brian Lucius, leaders of Radiant Financial Group. Each episode, they talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they chair. I'm Joe Biller, managing partner with 3x5 Partners. We're a venture capital firm focused on healthcare and climate solutions. And I'll be on the podcast today to talk to you guys about venture capital investing and finding the it factor. Let's get it rolling. Welcome back to The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair. We are, uh, I am joined here with Brian Lucius. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nate. I'm good. Ready for the show today. Good. Let's talk a little about our guest, uh, Mr. Joe Biller. Do you know Joe? I do know Joe. Joe is a uh, managing partner at uh, 3x5. Uh, 3x5 is a venture capital firm, and they focus on investing in private companies in the healthcare and climate space. So we talk about venture capital, and this is going to be our topic for Joe, so we won't ruin it, but what they're doing is they are taking large sums of money from investors and investing in private companies that are growing. So growth capital for companies that are up and coming and taking uh, an interest, uh, ownership interest in those companies. And I think that if, you know, if you're an advisor and you're working with higher net worth people, you if you haven't already or maybe you're just not asking or maybe you should ask, but you're going to see a lot more people investing in private equity or venture capital type funds or investments that they're using. So you guys will talk a little about the difference between the two and how all that works, I'm sure. So we won't get into that, but it is definitely a space that you want to be familiar with, not only from you know, your own dollars and when people say it's venture capital backed or private equity owned, what that actually means. And uh, of course, if you have clients that are investing in the same, it would be nice to at least be able to speak intelligently on that. Yes, we've got Joe on the show today. We'll talk about venture capital investing and obviously things have changed a little here in the the rate environment. So we'll get his take on you know where smaller growth companies are at and how they look at them. Perfect. Well, I'll kick it off with something I'm bearish on right now. And that is, it goes kind of with your interest rate comments, but it is just the cost of living today is to me is just brutal. <clears throat> now, I remember years ago, you'd go out to lunch. How much would a cheeseburger be? Seven bucks. Seven bucks, nine bucks. You get a drink, tax and tip, you're out the door for 15. I, you can't do that for less than 25 bucks right now. No. It is insane. I had my car serviced the other day, which is a basic service on a basic car seem to be outrageously expensive. I feel like landscaping, construction, like anything that you're buying today is way out of line. Now, how do you feel that interest rates are going to actually impact that? Um, they're not helping the cost of things. No. The cost of money, cost of capital is certainly up. Definitely up. And I also feel like that it's it may be the you know, grand scheme that they've got going on about raising interest rates to bring, bring inflation back in line. You're certainly seeing a lot more companies take a, I would say, a, a bearish position on the economy coming up kind of in the third quarter. You're seeing a lot more layoffs. I mean, big companies are cutting a ton of fat or gearing up for what could be in the third quarter, but something's definitely got to happen because it is definitely expensive to live life. And the other factor to it that that I think is a new expense that we didn't have 10 years ago is just kind of the convenience fee, let's call it. Yep. Do you use DoorDash? I do. I'm a monthly member. 
Your month? Oh, great. Another nine subscription. Bucks, nine bucks a month, baby. Bearish on subscriptions, but that's another show. Nine bucks but a month. Nine bucks a month there. I use shipped for my groceries. Yep. Now, that's a hundred bucks a year, something like that. But I do believe that the groceries that I'm buying have a little extra juice on them yes. as well. I can't quite the, tell. Certainly the art of uh, finding a deal and negotiating on services or goods is is kind of non-existent right now. I agree. And back, you know, 10 years ago, if you wanted lunch, somebody in the office or one of your buddies at home, the, the old term, I'll buy you fly. Yes. That used to be the deal, right? right? Five bucks, you'd give it to your buddy from McDonald's, he'd get himself a cheeseburger, off they'd go. Now I DoorDash the same meal for $18, so, $19. Uh, makes Velveeta shells and cheese look uh, still very intriguing today. <laughs> Velveeta is not a sponsor of this show, by the right. way. So I'm just bearish on that. I don't exactly know how it's going to happen, and maybe it's just me getting older and starting to complain about the cost, which, you know, I watched my grandparents always do the same thing. So, hell, maybe I'm just getting older, but it is just brutal. Yeah, expensive. the art of the deal is uh, more difficult today. I would agree. Um, I well, agree. I'll, I'll stick on those same lines and something that I'm uh, bullish on, which the debate in our business and certainly uh, savers and retirees and, and anybody today is, you know, as you look two years ago, uh, you know, CDs or money markets are paying, let's just say less than 1%. And now today you look at like a money fund, like money market fund, like a large one from Schwab as an example, as of today, and this is a liquid fund, right? You can put your money in today, take it out in three days, is paying 4.9% mm-hmm. yield. And so you look at that and, you know, two years ago, if we just said, hey, you can put your money in a vehicle, whether it's a CD, an annuity, a money market, and earn somewhere between four and a half and five and a half, six percent, everyone would have been like, that's amazing. Sign me up. I'll lock it in. And then as clearly things change as you go, so now you get into the debate of, well, I could put my money in a one-year CD at, let's say, close to five percent, mm-hmm. or I could lock into something longer term or something that's uh, long-term for, let's say, five and a half. Right. Well, would I rather own a one-year at five or, let's say, a five-year at five and a half? And the short answer is most people say, well, why wouldn't I buy the one-year? Mm-hmm. Right? Because then, well, the question is, and, and what I would be asking most retirees is, hey, things have, you know, two years ago, if I'd have told you this, you'd have bought instantly. Give me the five year. I'm good. Right. Because it's at an interest rate where you can actually live on that money. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't live on it at 1%. You can live on it at five and a half. So the debate is, you know, should I do one year, three year, five year, seven year, or should I ladder? Maybe I do some one, some three, which is probably the right answer is you ladder because if you lock it in and yeah, if rates go to six and a half, you might look back and say, oh, you know, I should have, should have waited. But the net result is you're never going to get going to the 10. very best <laughs> and you're never going to get probably the very worst. So right. if you can live on something and say, listen, for the next five years, seven years, I can live on not having to worry about stock market, like whatever's going on out there at five and a half. My answer would be, let's do it. It might be time to lock in. I mean. Yeah, you might miss out on a point, you know, yeah, 1%, you but are you going to miss, is, is it going to go to nine or 10? Or if in three Probably years not. things renew, if you say, I'm going to do the three year, they renew and they're at 3%, then you're going to look back and say, man, I should have put a lot more at five and a half. Which so, is interesting when you look at the flip side of when you're borrowing money. Like let's take right. mortgages. 
you know, when mortgages are low, you lock it in for 30 years. Correct. And even when they're, quote, high right now or relatively high right now, you still are going to lock it in for 30 years. You don't want an adjustable one, which could potentially come down, right, when interest rates go down. But you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Could go up. So, so there's certainly, there's certainly um, you know, some upside in locking into certainty versus saying, well, you know, in two years, I might get something at a higher rate. Well, you could, but the net result is, you might get some at a lower rate. Take things while they're good. (laughs) Are they great or the greatest they will be? We don't know. Uh, But it's just, uh, uh, you know, people's mindset is sometimes short, but reminding people where we've been. And if we go back there, you're going to feel good about some rates in the you know four and a half to six percent range. I agree, and it'll be interesting this year. I mean, I, I think from the from the stock market standpoint, I think we saw it do what it was going to do last year. This year, it's bouncing around a little bit. I think from an economic perspective, that as we watch what they're going to do with interest rates, you know, now I would say they're they're past tapping the brakes on the economy with the interest rate raises that they've done, which is now starting to take effect with layoffs, with companies taking kind of a more defensive posture on things, you're going to see, you know, a, a, a different world, I think, in the third and fourth quarter than than what you have seen over the last couple of years, which is interesting to see how the market and the economy kind of react different, even though you think they're kind of somewhat in the same. So you've got interest rates coming up, and then you know what we're coming up in June on, don't you? Uh, the debt ceiling. Debt ceiling, yep. Which seems to be every... <clears throat> Two your, to three years. Your rent's due, America. That's right. I asked I asked Binger the other day, I'm like, who 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 do we owe money to? Who are we not paying our bills with? And it's a very complex answer. Mm-hmm. A lot of it seems to be ourselves, which is an odd concept. Yep. But uh, mm-hmm. so we could create more. We could. <laughs> uh, we could circulate more money, which we've done a lot in the we last do several owe, years. I do believe we owe some other countries have borrowed us some cash. We do. Which is um, which is interesting. Like, how does that work? I, I mean, don't know. You know. That's a whole show in and of itself. Maybe, maybe we'll do we that. Need, we need a guest on for that one. But anyway, I think today's the discussion we had, and and Joe coming in and saying, you know, what are they looking at with buying, you know, investing in companies, growth capital, which is more expensive than it used to be, um, will be very relevant for you know our listeners who own their own business, plus those consumers that are looking at you know putting things in let's call non traditional stocks and bonds. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe should uh, educate us in that arena of venture capital, private equity, and how that works and where the world uh, has has been and perhaps where it may go. Excellent. Well, I'll get out of here and let Joe take my chair. All right. Well, welcome. I have my guest here, Mr. Joe Biller. Joe, how are you today? Yeah, great to be here. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to have you in, uh, in the studio as a local uh, Minneapolis guy. Yeah. No, happy to be here. So, Joe, a couple of uh, things to kind of introduce yourself. Um, you mentioned uh, early on that you're early in the uh, intro that you're the managing or a managing partner at Three by Five Partners, which is a venture capital firm. Correct. So, let's start by what does that even mean? What does venture capital mean? Yeah, it, it, it's a good question, and it's a question I get asked often when people ask me what I do, and I, I try to give a more simplistic answer to start, and then get into a little bit more specifics, but you know, venture capital kind of at a high level is we are effectively providing a service as venture capitalists. We are deploying other people's capital that they entrust in us. And we deploy that into companies that need access to typically earlier stage capital 
to fund operations and negative cash flow to get to meaningful milestones that ultimately, and hopefully, they eventually make it to the public markets or get acquired. Right. But there's that period of time, and we've all heard of startups. We've all heard about, you know, whether it's someone starting a bakery, which would probably just go to a bank for their capital. Right. But if it's someone who's starting a more capital intensive business, uh, and typically the areas that we focus on in healthcare and climate solutions are, are capital intensive, you need to have a source of capital that is willing to take more risk than a bank. Right. And that's what we do. And we have great networks uh, with CEOs and other investors in order to help <clears throat> these entrepreneurs get from that idea phase to eventually, hopefully, becoming a public company right. or, or get acquired. Yeah. And you mentioned there, you know, public. This, so we're going to talk a little bit about this whole notion of, you know, public company investing, which I think everybody's yeah, fairly yeah. familiar with Microsoft and Amazon and all the things. And you can find, so much information on those where you guys are in the, uh, I'm, I don't know all the companies you've invested in, but they have a, a sound idea. Correct. They have a business plan. They might be- um, Typically you know, been funded by angel investors or family friends and friends. Friends and family. Yep. To get off the ground, you know, and get coming, it set up in a legal entity yep. that we would then look at and right. maybe even have- you know, we, we've looked at a local company here that spun out of the University of Minnesota. Uh -huh. So a professor, entrepreneur, multi-billion dollar idea, uh, spun it out with the U of M. And then they went to some local entrepreneur or local entrepreneurs who had had a big exit, had sure. the capital, wrote them a check, you know, a six figure check to get going. Yep. And then eventually, once they hit enough milestones and had everything set up, they raised their first, call it institutional private right. round. Which and that's typically like where all. we would come in. Yep. Okay, so you guys are out there looking for obviously big ideas, right? Yes. You don't want to invest in something that's worth, you know, ten million today that could be worth twelve million in five years, right? You're looking yeah, for we're... big ideas that could be, and you mentioned the term public, right? So yep. private companies that potentially could go public or they're bought bought or invested in by somebody else. Yeah, at, correct. At a later stage. All right. So you mentioned the term climate solutions. Talk to me about that. What What's your, I guess, your, your thesis or your, um, you know, the things that you can look at versus the things you, you yeah. just don't so look just at? Yeah, so just give you a little bit of background on us. So we we have about $400 million under management over okay. the last, since being founded in 2011, multiple funds, special purpose vehicles, and we actually were spun out of an RIA, you okay. know, over $30 billion in assets under management, and they wanted to give access to private companies. Yep. And had the network because they had invested in venture capital funds. Right. They actually had a very large exit. And with that, they we created three by five, totally separate entity, but yep. spun out. And and the reason I bring that up is that, you know, our our ethos was to invest in what the world needs. Yep. And what we believed over the next 30 years was more advances in healthcare and climate solutions, which I'll get to in a second. But those two, these are trillion dollar markets. And we don't want to invest in evolutionary companies. We want to invest in revolutionary companies. And with that, you have to take risk. And that's where the venture capital piece comes into it. In terms of climate solutions, we, it's a pretty broad way to look at it. And it's evolving. And it's evolved considerably over the last five years even. So to give you an example, we, one of the most recent investments we've made in our last fund is a, is a company that's focused on the geothermal space. Historically, geothermal has not been a, call it 
to make this an easy way to characterize it, an NP, NPV positive right. form of energy. Yep. Costs way too much to get out, way too yep. capital intensive. Well, because of this technology, which I won't get into today, it makes it far more cost effective, easier. And so these <clears> are a couple gentlemen that were at Stanford. They were actually um, working f- before they went to Stanford uh, or maybe right after they graduated with the big oil companies. Yep. And they realized that taking the natural approach of fracking for, call it, um, other forms of energy, yep. but using it to deploy towards a cleaner form of energy and geothermal, that was a big idea. Well, so they got it started and then they raised this first institutional round. Now, this is a very capital intensive business, but this is why it's so transformational. Not only does it make it so much cheaper and faster and easier to do, but all of these different initiatives, what doesn't work at night? The sun works during the day, the wind works during the day. Those things don't work as well overnight. So there needed to be another form of energy for all these big initiatives going on in California and others. So it gives you an example of the type of idea that we're going after. A big right. idea solves a big problem. But we are, we've looked at other forms of energy in terms of um, you know, batteries, and uh, we have a solar panel technology that produces potable drinking water that went from we were the first investor in their last round was valued at over a billion dollars. Well, so you know, but we took a lot of risk. Yes, and we also have failures too, so we don't oh, yeah. bat a thousand. Yep, yep. And that's the other thing in venture capital. The goal is, right. You know, you have a fund, a lot of companies. Some of them are going to be a zero, but you want to limit those and hopefully have a yeah. few winners that make. It, and I think when you look at you know our advisors that have certainly in investors and people who do, let's call the alternative space, right? Yeah, alternative absolutely. investing's a big, yeah. uh, you know, it's a big world. And when you look at that, <clears throat> you guys raise clearly a fund, which you're investing in could be, I don't know, five companies, 10 companies, 15, whatever that number yeah, is. Correct. We all have buddies and people that are like starting companies, yeah. right? And you talked about early the angel round, which is your friends and family and they kick you 50 grand or whatever it is. And I think there's a balance there, right? If you put all of your money into one company, mm-hmm. okay, let's say it was in 2019, a restaurant or a something like that. And yeah. we all know what happened in the, like, yeah. th- there's some, I don't know if safety is the right word, but there's some diversification in what you all do, which is, hey, we're not going into one, we're going into whatever that is, four, yeah. five, six, it, 10. It, backing an early stage company, as a, it's, it's cool until it's not. Uh, correct. <laughs> And, and the reason is, is it's a very high beta thing and doing so now that doesn't mean that so-and-so can invest in a single company or, right. or they have access to it. But typically what we've seen, um, especially on the high net worth or individual side is there's kind of almost like a, a pyramid based approach to it where, you know, there's either some fund to funds programs yep. where you can invest in a platform that does multiple funds or directly into funds yep. uh, or indirectly into a few companies. And as the lower you get down on that, call that, what do you want to call it? An iceberg sure. or, you know, a, a pyramid or what have you. The funnel. lower you get down to that, fu- yeah, funnel. That's a better way to, to analogize it is, you know, the, that's far more riskier. And so if you, you know, it's great. The great thing about venture capital, even for an individual investor, is it does provide diversification. Yep. But it provides liquidity risk also and also just risk inherent in the stage of the business. too. Right. So you have to you know, eyes wide open. And that's where having an advisor that knows the space well, right. or, 
access to a firm that deploys it. And that's really why I say, even when my kids ask me, like, what do you actually do? I was like, well, <laughs> I, I don't, that's not my money. I, I, right. I provide a service. Your dad provides a service to others, others and we yep. entrust us uh, to go invest. And in when you companies. talk about risk, you mentioned liquidity. Clearly, you know, let's let's just pick a publicly traded company. Um, we'll take Microsoft, yeah. right? You got, there's some stability there. Could they go up? Could they down? They could. They might pay a dividend, which gives yeah. you cash yeah. flow. When you're talking about private company investing, venture capital, private equity, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, um, you're talking about seven year, you know, five year, seven year, 10 year. What What's yep. that life cycle? Yeah, it depends on when you come in. And I would say the later you get in the life cycle, the more likely it's only going to be available to funds like us. Because right. most companies don't want to deal with raising money from right. 100, 200 people. They want one source. And so typically the access point for maybe an individual investor is very early. Friends and family, maybe right. first round. And so you more than likely, if you get access to one of those companies, you're going to have to be in it maybe for, like you said, five, eight, 10 years. Yes. And likely have to follow on in future rounds because sometimes there's yep. an obligation to invest in right. those future rounds. So it's really just knowing what you're getting into. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't. It just means yeah. full knowledge of what you're getting yourself into. Yep. Ideally, a good sense of who the people, which I know we'll probably we talk, talk about, about yep. is just knowing who are running it because I, I put people over product any day of the week. Right. So No, I think I think that's good. And obviously, there's you know no liquidity, right? You can't reach in and say, no, hey, I'd no. like uh, 100000 There's access. You could back. sell it potentially on a, but you're going to pay, someone's going to not but pay ideally. you. It's, it's going to be a liquidity discount. But theoretically speaking, it, it is, <clears throat> you are in it. Yep. And it's that's part of the reason why. Um, there's usually, you know, this is another term thrown out there, liquidity premium thrown mm-hmm. out there is because, right. you know, Microsoft is liquid. You could Correct. literally try to turn it on my computer right now and yep. sell it in three minutes. So, so let, let's talk about the uh, sustainability factor and, you know, ESG, that's a big term in the industry now. How do you balance, because I've talked to a lot of advisors and clients yeah. that are like, you know, it, it, it somewhat, and you may disagree with this, but someone has this stigma of, well, yeah, I'm doing good things for the world, which is great, but how do I balance that with return? Oh, 100%. Like, what, what's this is the, an easy question for what's us. The ba- yeah, I'm sure you get that. Yeah, I'm sure we, not the first guy to ask you that. I actually, we don't really look at ESG per se. Okay. Like, if people can't look at our companies and see they're having an impact on the world, yep. then they shouldn't invest in us. Right. So, if, for us, is an impact is so inherent in what we do, and we are we are 100% returns focused. Um, we happen to invest in very impactful areas that clients love, but if the biggest ideas and the best ideas are gonna, our public investors are gonna wanna own someday or yep. acquires are gonna wanna buy. Right. And in order to make the biggest impact in this world for your kids, my kids, our grandkids, is it has to go after stuff that people, you know, that they they need to make money someday too. This right. can't just be a feel good thing. Right. And so we are when we're talking to investors that invest in our fund, we make it very clear. We check that impact bucket because of the sectors we focus on, but we say just so we're crystal clear. Returns number 1, 2 and 3 <laughs> and we just happen to make an impact. Now my partners may, you know, have different views on that, but in terms You're- of how it's messaged, but I guess my point is is that 
you know, if you can't make money for your clients, you will right. not survive in this. Industry. You're not investing in charitable organizations. No, These no, are we money all have making separate things chari- that also make a difference. Actually, it's funny you say that. We had uh, one very well-known guy here in town that personally committed to our fund. And his last diligence question was, hey, I just want to make sure three by five, you know, is a hundred percent returns focused because I got plenty of charities to give my <laughs> right. to. That's right. And I had to walk him through. I said, no, look at our track record. Look at, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're very aligned there. So that's good. So when you talk about, uh, these are, uh, going back to the public, right? If I went on today, I could look at Amazon and I could spend yeah, yeah, seven yeah. days looking at all their returns and all their numbers and all that stuff. You don't have the luxury of doing that in, in these companies, right? They're early stage, good idea, good people mm-hmm. with a great potential outcome. Correct. And so how do you guys, you probably, I mean, one, I know one of your jobs is you might look at, and I'm curious, you might look at 10 or 100 to invest in one. Yeah, correct. So what, what give me kind of those things where you're like, these are the boxes and I know each company is different, each industry is different, but what are those things when you guys walk away after doing due diligence and you say, you know, this is it, this is something yeah, we'd so like we, to do? Uh, this is a, is a great question, and I'll give you a real-time example. So we had a company that one of our CEOs, which is a great referral source, that we have all these portfolio companies, and one of our CEOs said, hey, I really want to introduce you to a co- another company I founded. Some of these guys found multiple companies, right. you know, way smarter than I am, you know, just have all these different ideas, and it was a... Um, an early stage company in the glaucoma space. Very impactful area. Yep. It's a lot of acquisition going on in the space by big strategics. There's public companies that are focused in this space. So it's it just, I hate, I hate to kind of just, you know, it's it's somewhat of a gut feel. Yep. You know, you just got getting the check the box. Okay, referred to from this person in this space. All right, I'm going to take the meeting. And so then after going through the deck, it became very clear to me that the people involved were very, very reputable and trustworthy people that I've worked with in the past to some degree or some uh, I've worked with for years. Yep. And so for me, it all starts with the people. That is is by far the most important thing. Um, the next layer for me is, okay, is this product just kind of a, you know, is it a step, you know, slightly better? Yep. You know, I mean, you kind of, not to dumb it down, but kind of using the same public analogies like, Okay, if you go to get a phone and there's an Apple phone and a Samsung, they both do basically the same thing. Right. But it comes down to like, well, I kind of like this or I like to use this and it's kind of personal preference. That's really not what we do. We focus on things that are either highly disruptive to other acquirers, franchise businesses right. that we could disrupt them so they almost need to buy this someday or a new idea that is transformational and changes the way things are done. So to your point, we we typically do see you know hundred or plus deals a year. We may do three or four at right. most, mm-hmm. and so it goes down that funnel. But I would tell you, it it kind of is this idea of you know not that I I'm going to trademark this, but it's like the three P's. You know, people, <laughs> product, and I would say performance. And what performance means is their track record leading companies, because where I have seen the most success is backing people. That it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Yep. It doesn't mean that it, it it's not going to come with a lot of standard deviation of, sure. of issues and more. It always takes more time and more money in this oh, yeah. business. For sure. But yep. if you do it with someone who is going to shoot you straight, you know, during yep. the ups and downs and you trust, I will take that over a product that might have more promise than, right. you know, because th- I trust that they, they aren't going to waste their time. Also, they're not working on stuff that has the potential to make them money. Right. So that's good. So. Uh, you and I talked a little before about, you know, there's there's always this 
let's call it a founder-led business. Could yep. be small, could be medium, you know, could have zero revenue or Correct. 20 million of revenue, whatever it is. And, you know, having that story, right? When somebody comes in, yeah, they can kind of see it. But when you sit down with somebody and you say, okay, here's where we're at. Here's our idea. Here's our plan. Here's where we've been. Here's how we're executing. Like, how do you, <clears throat> or I guess any advice when you're looking at investing mm-hmm. about, you know, that process, like how far along do you have to be or how important is that, that, that presentation beyond just, I know this is a good person. I know they've been there before. Yeah, no, how, how do you it, judge it, that so part? So using that example, the glaucoma we, <coughs> company we looked at, I think it, you want to, you start our job, my partners and I effectively is what I like to say is our job is to manage risk and reward and evaluate it. Yep. And so when we're in that evaluation period, not managing period, so evaluating the risk and reward on a potential deal, the risk goes down, I think, when people, the, the people factor is it. Um, but the reward part of it has to be there too. And, and so, okay, as they go through their deck, I like to just have people that are very transparent, that it's not overly salesy. Yep. It's not everything is going to be great. It's, hey, these are the key milestones because this is a milestone driven game. Right. These are all typically cash flow negative companies for years and years until they flip to either get acquired or become commercial companies. That life cycle is different for various sectors. Sure. But, you know, when, when we're looking at something, you know, we want to be able to see that the capital that we are investing is going to lead to meaningful milestone creation. And so as they're going through, if it doesn't, like I'm a big fan of, if I see in someone's deck, the milestones over the next two years laid out and how much cash it's going to take to get there, that for me is a sign that they're thinking things through in a very, you know, kind of straightforward way. They're being transparent. It's not all about the market. It's not all about this. And then it's like, hey, you should just invest in us because it's such a great idea. It's It's a $27 trillion market. What are you actually going to do over the next two years or how much this cash is going to last you? Right. And what is it going to lead to? So for maybe the next investor that comes in, you know, in our world, you want them to pay more than we pay because what's the point of us not waiting until the future? Because, you know, I obviously we'd be taking more risk than that next investor. So what are some of the ones as you go into it? You're, and again, let, let's assume the idea is great, right? I'm going to, uh, you know, have uh, electric vehicles by the year 2030. Yeah, right? yeah, five, yeah, seven yeah, years yeah. ago, you're like, wow, that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah. What are some of the things where you're like, I don't think, great idea, but I don't think this person or team or whatever can execute so, yeah. this. And, and it, you know, it, it, there can be situations where we might know these people really well. And yep. it's like, well, wait a second, like time out. I'm not, I'm not following you here. Yep. Like you're saying this. And so we challenge them or kind of understand it further. And that's a big part of our process of very, you know, after that meeting and we say we're interested, we then go through a pretty significant diligence sure. period of like 60 to 90 days where we're calling customers or other people in yep. the industry, people that are smarter than us. You know, like in the geothermal company, we hired an expert person in the geothermal sure. space because we don't have PhDs there. We right. wanted to understand some of the risks. But as it relates to kind of this going through that process, I think, you know, it typically comes around to, okay, do I agree with your assumptions? Yep. Like whether it's a, a hockey stick for, you know, the classic hockey stick for oh, revenue. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, those are the kind of things, but usually the best people that have done this before are very good at balance then and being very straightforward about these are the risks. 
But I would say, you know, sometimes there's certain spaces, like I actually had another venture group that had funded a last round. It was a really cool play in the urology space. And they were raising their first commercial round. It's a very active space. In fact, my neighbor is urologist at Mayo, and he said, oh, it's a, I, I think yep. this will work. Um, it's just how much money it can take to get some of those companies to sure. be meaningful revenue generating companies, which <laughs> some require to get an exit. That's where, and I could be wrong. You know, I know I'm wrong several, I've been right. wrong so many times before. <laughs> you know, I don't bat a thousand. And that, that's even on the buy decision too. Like you can just say, ah, I just, I, I've seen this before and I think yep. it's going to take you more money. And so we're out this round. And then you wake up, you know, two years, two years and, and like, get sold for a billion dollars. Yeah. I should have done that. Uh-huh. What, what about, let's talk about in recent, it seems like, let's just talk about during, well, back in the, the tech boom, Yeah, you know, leading up to certainly in the late nineties and then even some of the you know, six, seven, eight, when things were crazy. It seems like we've gone through a period here recently, right? Everyone's working from home and anything uh, virtual based for a period of time there, even if they were burning, just could be public, could be private. They're burning tons of money, but everyone's like, oh, it's just, it, it, it seems cool. It seems like the thing to do. I think what we've seen here recently, certainly with public companies, is that revenue growth is great, right? We all want top line revenues to grow. Mm-hmm. However, there's there's kind of been this reset, in my opinion, whether it's software or anything else around, okay, but can you ever turn a profit? Oh, for sure. Which, and obviously interest rates are up, valuation. So I'm yeah. curious on your take on like how that has kind of changed with great idea, love the revenue growth, but can this thing actually be profitable someday? Yeah, it's actually a, a really interesting point because we came in on a really interesting, Steam medical device company that was just got their FDA approval and was launching commercially. It was a deal we did during COVID. Now, yep. granted, we got to know the management team on the previous finance that we passed on. Uh, we should have done that first round. So that's a, right. that's a great example of we we were just like, oh, you know, we're not sure if we agree with your reimbursement assumptions because a lot of these companies yeah. need to get reimbursement in place right. so that when you go to the Health you know, healthcare yep. provider, they yep. you get you get coverage you for get it. paid. Well, they not only, you know, beat those assumptions, they beat them in, in spades. And so they came back and they said, hey, we're raising our next round. And so we got very excited. It also showed like they did what they said they were going to do. So even though we passed, we got really comfortable that what they were telling us over the next few years. So the reason I bring that up is that was a deal we did during COVID. We were very excited about it. And it is probably top two or three performing company in our fund right now. Yeah. And... Uh, they are outperforming on the top line, but I would tell you that they are just as disciplined about the bottom line. Right. And not only because of the environment we're in, but just because this founder has never seen anything like it before in the med tech space, he still owns like 15 to 20% of the company himself. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of in our space. Typically unheard of because of how capital intensive these businesses are. Typically a founder's shares will get diluted down to the point, you know, Maybe it's five percent. Yeah, less than five. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. And so they have an owner's mentality, right? And that's a that's an aligning interest to us because he's you know they 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 look at the top line and bottom line, and that serves them really well in an environment like we are today. 
because going public is really not an option. Yep. <laughs> right. I mean, and let, you know, and it's probably not going to be an option now, you know, everyone can get out their crystal ball, but it might not be an option for the next 24 months. Right. And even further. And totally. even if it does open up again, it might be for companies that are profitable and turning, you know, at least 30, 50 million in revenue. Right. So I, I absolutely do think for, and this is why when we just passed on this urology company, the feedback I gave to one of the VCs was, Hey, I, I have to think about this as we are going to build this company and take it to cash flow break even. And so because you guys haven't really checked the box on reimbursement yet for this company, I'm a little bit concerned that it might take more capital. Like, right. Love more the idea, love money, everything, yep. love the people. So <clears throat> I absolutely think whether you're in IT space, and I have seen this in some couple IT companies, yeah. is like, I mean, using the kind of, you know, uh, super high level, not a great way to characterize it, but like flight to quality. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a flight to quality and, you know, companies that it's not all, I mean, now I will pick on my IT brethren, like, you know, the Snapchats, all my teenagers are using that stuff. Like all those were skyrocketed valuations with nothing really substantive to show for it on the bottom line. It was just this promise that, oh, no, we'll get there. Don't worry about that. The online auto industry went (laughs) through that where companies worth billions of dollars and they're selling 64 cars a month. You know, like, what is that, uh, you know, where you go around the circle and kids, the, the chair gets pulled away? Or like, uh, you know, uh, oh, okay. Uh, you know, it, it, the, eventually the chair is, there's, yeah, you're not going right. to be able to sit down. Yeah. And so, and, and I think the music is being faced for a lot of those companies. Like, until you can show that you have a legitimate business model where you're going to be turning a profit, even for some of them, I'm sure investors are saying, just give us something in like five years. Right. At least show us like in five years you can turn a profit because then we can actually value you. Yeah. And in our business too, that's very, you know, we work a lot with our advisors on, you know, there's, there's sales and there's revenue and there's, um, you know, being honored for being one of the top. And then yeah. there's bottom line and take yeah. home and other things. I know it's a little bit different in our world versus yours, but there, yeah. there's, there's, I think it's, it's been a, it's a, a healthy in reset. It, and, and that's the thing. It's a little bit give and take where it's like, Hey, uh, we actually were just in a board meeting last week with a company in the climate space. They're starting to generate they yep. have a billion dollar market in front of them and they have a lot of tailwinds. And so it's a little bit of, and they're raising their next round right now. So right. it's like, and it's not the easiest environment to raise no. money in right now. Um, a lot of people would say it's a great time to be investing because it's that alternative yeah. approach. That's of right. Like, hey, you should be thinking about it now. But it's still not as fast a money as it was maybe a couple years ago. And because of that, we were kind of going back and forth. Like, okay, should we put the throttle down and all about revenue growth? Or should we just make sure that we have enough cash to last us to yeah, weather through this? Through. In case, you know, we know we're, I mean, we know we're going to raise money, but we just don't want right. to force ourselves. So I think it's a balance. I think you don't want to forsake growth. But I think on one hand, the IT industry, and again, I see it from afar and you saw it over the last couple of years is just like, you know, we'll, you know, don't worry about it. We'll eventually get there. Just like this idea of, you know, it's not fair comment, but like fake it till you make it kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think investors and everyone is, you know, kind of seeing that, you know, you have to have a fundable business model. Yeah. And how do you it, run a profitable yeah, how company? Do you run, how Some do you run could a be profitable a year, company. could be 10 years, but it's got to get there. Yeah, it just can't just be this, you know, leaky Idea. faucet of, of, right. uh, of money. But I think it is a balance. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you, you know, it's all about top line growth yes. and it, and it is about profitability. So if you can balance both and having good assumptions and sound governance over it, I think, you know, do those you companies think it's are gonna impacted win. overall valuations in the last 18 months? Oh, valuations for sure. Valuations come 
come down 10% yeah. or 30 or, I mean, no, that's a, everyone's different, well, but in general. Uh, the private markets are typically a lagging indicator, in my opinion, to where valuation reset is going to go because of there's no liquidity. Correct. Right? And so, and, and usually a mark to market is when a company has a financing. So some of these companies were flush with cash. And so yeah. they, and they were marked at a billion dollars or what have you. And some investors that based on publications I've been reading is like they actually went out of their way to mark them down because the public markets were getting marked down. Correct. But in other situations, it takes a financing event to actually. So, you know, getting to your point, though, about has it affected valuations? I think it has affected um, people. The old act, first thing I learned in college in my finance class is cash is king. It's the yep. first thing I read That's when I right. opened up the book. Cash is king. <clears throat> and it right. applies today. Correct. And... I think with a lot of companies, it's like, okay, we want to make sure we have enough cash to weather through this storm. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're, you know, you do need to raise capital. It's not all about the, you know, up into the right valuation. Right. It's about funding your business correctly. And so, you know, I think valuation expectations have come down, I think. I agree. You know, I think the, it's still playing out for a lot of these companies of what they're going to be marked at. But the ones that will win are the ones we just talked about, that have, that some they have a plan that is reasonable to get to an exit or profitability, and they're thinking about it that way, and they have a track record of success. Those are the ones where people are going to continue to pay up for. Right. The ones that are more risky or don't have it thought out, I think they're going yep. to- Not as easy today. Not as easy. The valuation pressure is going to be more. That's good. Uh, so last uh, couple of questions. Let's let's yeah. set uh, investing aside for a minute. So when you're not investing and talking to founders and doing all these things, what what are you doing outside of uh, uh, work? So well, I always speak? like to what I always like to say is I you know because people you know even in the industry like you know what do you what do you do or and I and first and foremost I am a dad. Like I have three kids. I'm blessed with three kids. Yep. Um, and I you know I'm a really big family guy. Faith. You know, it's very important to me. My wife and I have uh, done a lot of work in the special needs arena. Uh -huh. uh, our youngest has special needs. And so we started a foundation uh, that has just skyrocketed, you know, just been amazing. What's the name of the foundation? It's called the Shooting Star Foundation. Okay. Um, it's to provide financial assistance to families that can't afford care for their children age cool. zero to eight. And we saw that with our daughter. We were saying, well, we're blessed to pay for this. Right. There's got to be families. So I actually treated it like a... An, a idea to start a company. There's no sure. reason why you can't start, run a nonprofit like yep. a for-profit. So right. I went to my attorney buddy and said, uh -huh. I don't know what this That's five right. was, <laughs> you <laughs> know, how to start yeah. a nonprofit, but, um, and then I'm a hockey dad. So I got a All bantam. Right. I feel you. <laughs> I got a bantam and a peewee yep. and my daughter loves to act. So she's actually doing incredible now with her speech. And she, she my wife probably took her to over 500 appointments over wow. the last eight years. It's called the Shooting Star The Shooting Star Foundation. Foundation. Based out of Minneapolis? Uh, technically, Eden Prairie is where Prairie. Our, okay. our, our mailbox is, but here in the and, Twin and Cities. And just quickly on that, how many, so do you award like families or kids or what, what does that look yeah, like in a yeah. year? Or? No, it's, it's, uh, thanks for asking too. Um, it's, it was really started with a local group here called St. David Center on yep. the west side of town. And yep. a lot of listeners might even know who they are. And then we expanded to Frasier, uh, work with Gillette, a group called Sora, Kid Talk, Sunny Days. So okay. over the last six years... Um, what we do is we work with them. They identify families in a certain income range that need financial assistance yep. and that we help provide scholarships uh, through those entities, not directly to the families for HIPAA sure. reasons and everything, sure. 
but it really the testimonials is just life changing. Yeah. And and the the, the if these kiddos, as evidenced by our, our own daughter, if you're able to get to these kids in that range, because yeah. the brain is Early malleable, mm-hmm. it is going to change their life. It will allow them to reach their fullest potential, and whatever that potential is for yep. a kid with autism or a child with Down syndrome, or my daughter who was born with a very rare condition that affected her speech and balance. Um, you know, my daughter was in a play this past yep, uh, winter, and she did and How old is she? She turns 10, actually, this weekend. So okay. we got the, her and I, my birthday is this Sunday. Hers is uh, Friday. And my wife was like, well, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'm like, just make her birthday amazing. <laughs> that's cool. I might, I might want a beer or something. Good for you guys. So. That's That's awesome. Well, anyway, I don't, uh, I don't have anything else for you. I appreciate you joining uh, us today. So yeah. thanks for coming in and awesome. uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.